When things go well, thank God. When things don't go well, thank God. And the reason is because of what he's done for us through Jesus. And if anybody knew what it meant to give thanksgiving in the midst of suffering, it would be Paul. And this morning what I want to show you from these, these verses is that God deserves thanks because through him we are gloriously victorious. That because of what Christ has done for us, we can give thanks to God for the fact that he has made us triumphant captives and he has made it, he's made us fragrant gospel spreaders. So this morning, I want to show you why thanksgiving to God should be at the heart of everything you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, if you're physically able, I would love for you to stand with me as we read God's word. We do this because God's word means that much to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, here's what Paul writes. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask you to teach us this morning that these verses are more than just words of advice. These verses are the truth that you have for us. Father, you're showing us more of who you are and how desperately we need you by these verses. So, Father, teach us. We ask you, please, to do this so that we would honor and love you more. We thank you, God. We thank you this morning that we used to be at war with you, and now we are your children. To you be glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. But thanks be to God, he says in verse 14. Anytime there is a but there, that means that he is contrasting something. And I believe what he's contrasting is what we've been looking at the last few weeks, and also what is in verses 12 through 13. Remember, Paul had a very painful visit with the Corinthians when he went to them in order to have them address and confront someone in the church who had risen up in opposition to Paul. It was so bad that Paul felt he needed to make an emergency trip there to deal with it. And when he came to Corinth, he found himself in a painful visit. Things did not go well. They didn't listen. They didn't take his counsel. Things got pretty ugly. And because of that, Paul said he had to leave. Rather than cause more pain, he left. He went back to Ephesus, but it wasn't going to end there. He still needed to address the sin and the rampant opposition to him that was in the church. And so Paul wrote a letter that's called the Tearful Letter. And he sent it with his companion, Titus, and Titus took it to the church in Corinth to deliver it. And while Paul was awaiting word back from Titus, 
He continued to minister in Ephesus, but was soon going to have to begin to make his journey again. And his plan was to go to Troas and Macedonia and then on to Corinth to finish off his trip and to see them. Can you imagine, you, have you ever been in that situation before where you're waiting on word from somebody and you're not sure how it's going to go? You're not sure if it was well received or if they were really, really angry at you? When you're waiting to hear back how did it go, it can drive you crazy. It can make you quite restless. And that's where Paul was. Paul had confronted sin in the Corinthian church and he wasn't sure how they took it. And remember, they didn't have text messaging. They didn't have emails. He had to wait for days and months to hear the response to his tearful letter. And while he was waiting, he tells us in verse 12, he was restless. He says in verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my their Titus there, so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Apparently, Paul expected to connect back up with Titus on his way back from Corinth so that Titus would say, Paul, here's how it went down. Here's what happened according to your letter. Here's what they did in response. But he gets to Troas, and Titus isn't there yet. It's, he needs to know what happened. How did they respond? But he can't stop preaching the gospel, so he continues on to Macedonia. Now, we find out later that Titus does catch up with Paul in Macedonia, and, and Titus gives him the news that the church responded favorably. They repented. Most of them listened to his counsel. They had dealt with the opposition in the church, and Paul was so joyous to hear that. So what he did is he wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians, to them in advance of his coming trip. He was going to go see them, but he wanted them to have this letter first. And he wants the church to know before he gets there, I have been restless waiting to hear what's going on. It has, it has plagued him. It's something that he's had to carry spiritually since he wrote the letter and sent it off. And in the midst of that turmoil, that restless spirit, verse 14, but thanks be to God. See, Paul wasn't saying his circumstances were rosy and everything was beautiful. He was restless. Oh, how he wanted to hear whether it went poorly or whether it went well. And in the midst of that restlessness, in the midst of all of the struggles he's had to go through, remember, that's not all he's had to go through. He's been physically beaten. He's been chased. He's been mocked. He's been threatened. All those things as he continues to preach the gospel. And in the midst of all of that, but thanks be to God. That thanksgiving to God in the midst of terrible affliction is proper and it is expected. And the reason isn't because of the circumstances themselves. I want you to notice that God is the focus of these verses. He says, thanks be to God above all. Not only that, but let's be honest, God is the whole point of the Bible, it's all about him. The focus of the entire Bible is about God, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness. And we just happen to be in there, but it's not about us. If we read the Bible about us predominantly, we miss the whole point. Thanks be to God. Paul wants them to realize their eyes need to be fixed on him, and they need to be giving thanks to God for all that he's done. He's the focus. And why does God deserve thanksgiving, even in bad situations and circumstances? I'm glad you asked. He tells us in verse 14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
Thanks be to God that he has made us as believers triumphant captives of God. Now that's an oxymoron for most of us. We don't think about the idea of a captive being triumphant. Those seem to be opposites. So the fact that Paul says, thanks be to God that he leads us always in triumphal procession, that should stick out to you as being odd. Because it doesn't seem to make sense. But what Paul's doing is he's reminding us of the grace of God towards us. God deserves thanks because we didn't deserve what he did for us. You're really thankful when someone gives you something you didn't deserve or you didn't ask for or you didn't expect. Paul says thanks be to God because he always, in Christ, leads us in triumphant procession. I want you to notice a very important marker in this. He says in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. See, there's a, a necessary connection between you and Jesus that must exist if you're going to be in triumphal procession. You don't get here, you're not part of the triumphal procession because you did good things or because you agreed with what God said. He says, who in Christ always leads us. So get this. God says, in Jesus and in union with him, believers are triumphant captives to God. Okay, now, you may be like me in that, I, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many triumphant processionals in my life. As it, most of the time when battle and war is over, I'm not there in the street watching the procession happen. Because what I think the picture we're getting here from Paul is something that happened in there much more often. And just so you know, I learn by pictures in my head. I learn by stories. And as I thought about this triumphant procession, I'll be honest with you, I didn't understand what in the world that was talking about. I know it shocks you. I don't understand everything. And there are times I open the Bible and I read it and I go, huh? This is one of those times. So guess what I did? I started looking at what other smart Christian men have said. And here's something that I saw most commentators that I read. This is something they contributed that helped me out a lot. And I hope it helps you too. The picture of a triumphant processional is not something we're used to, but was something that happened in their day. And the triumphant processional that's often looked at in these verses would be found in Roman life. That when the Roman army or when Roman generals won battles or victories, one of the things that they would do after the battle was won is they would take the prisoners of war or the captives from the other side and they would march them through the city. It would be a processional of the conquered people. And the general would be at the end and everybody would walk forward. And it was meant to be to the shame of the captives. They were being marched to destruction, perhaps death. And the honor was going to the general who won the fight. 
And so the triumphant processional was like a king or a victor in the midst of battle who had won the war. Now notice, Paul says that in Christ, God always leads us in triumphal procession. So here's the picture I think. I may be wrong, but here's the picture I think. God is victorious over his enemies. And God takes captive those who used to be in allegiance with the enemy. And when God takes captive his people, they walk out in front like a triumphant processional giving praise to the victor battle. In this scenario, I think believers are the captives. That God has set us free and made us captives of him instead of captives of the enemy. And when he does that, he leads us out in processional. And instead of that processional being a march to our destruction or a march to our death, it's called a triumphal procession. That when God leads his captives forward, he leads them not into death, but he leads them into life and victory. So when we are captive to Christ, when we are God's captives, we're not captives to a mean, vindictive king. We are captives to a glorious, righteous, and just king. And what Paul says is, thanks be to God that we're no longer enemies of his, but now we are God's captives, and he marches us every day in triumphal procession. That we are victorious with him, not defeated. You with me? Thanks be to God. You know why? Because that's always the case for believers. Always. You as a Christian are always being led in triumphal procession by God. He's marching you out there to show how powerful he is. Woo, you with me now? That means as a Christian, you are actually living your daily life in front of a world where God is saying, I bought them. These are mine. And when we walk in triumphal procession, we're not, we're not upset, we're not, we're not worried, we're not fearful. We are absolutely triumphant. We realize that we are victorious. You know why? Because Jesus is victorious. You know why God deserves thanks from all of us? We used to be marching towards death. And he saved us. He brought us into his family. And he marches us out there and says, these are my victors. I don't know about you, but that should really help in a day when it's going rough. To know that no matter what circumstance comes along, you are still being led by God in triumphal procession. You are children of the king. Paul Barnett put it this way. He says, this is God's victory parade in his defeat of sin, death, and Satan in our lives. Listen, folks, if you can't give thanks to God for that, I don't know what you're waiting for. Because that's glorious news, that we're not conquered, we are victors in Jesus. And as Christians, we live, we work, we play, we interact daily in our communities, and when we do that, we are displaying the victorious, redemptive work of God in Jesus. That in Christ, we have been victoriously set free from sin and death. Paul tells
us this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. He says this about Jesus and about us. Talking to people, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What Paul's telling us is God triumphed over sin, death, and Satan by sending his son who would take the full punishment of our sin, the debt we owed God, Jesus would take it, nail it to the cross, and because he did, we are now victorious, triumphing over sin, death, and Satan because of what Jesus has done for us. Give thanks to God. Really, folks, give thanks to him because you used to be dead and lost and apart from him. And as believers, you are now in Christ and you are victorious. But he doesn't stop there. That's enough, right? Let's close it up, go home, that's good stuff. But that's not it. Because number two, he says, not only do we give thanks to God because he leads us in triumphal procession always, but we also give thanks to God because through us, meaning believers, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him Everywhere. This is beautiful news. And I don't know about you, but I like things that smell sweet. I like things that smell good. And because of what Jesus has done for us through union with Christ, through trust and belief in him, Christians are called fragrant gospel spreaders. Not only are you in triumphant procession, but God is using you as a Christian to spread the fragrant gospel good news of Jesus Christ to other people. See, normal captives go out in the procession and they're defeated and they're dejected and they're fearful, but our march is one that is sweet-smelling. It is the fragrance, and as such, God is spreading the fragrance or the sweet smell, he says, of the knowledge of him everywhere. So as believers, we live, work, play, interact daily in our communities and when we do so, we are spreading or making known the sweet-smelling, redemptive work of God in Christ everywhere we go. As a believer, you're not only in victorious procession, but everywhere you go, the sweet smell of what Jesus has done on the cross for sinners, you're taking it with you. You are sweet-smelling in a world that is decaying. That's because of the redemptive work in Jesus. Remember, we don't do this on our own. This is because we are in Christ. And this should be good news to people. We should be sweet smelling in the world. We shouldn't stink. God has called Christians to be fragrance in the midst of the putrid smell of sin and death in the world. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gotten home open the, the door, and something really bad hits your smell. I mean, it just, you walk in, it's like, oh, what died in here? You, you've had that before. If you haven't, God bless you. You are truly all awesome. But you know what I'm, most of you know what I'm talking about. When you open that door and something hits you, and it is putrid. And guess what? Most of us don't then just go about our day, just live and do what we want. No, you're going to find out what's stinking as soon as possible. Because it sticks on you. 
it get in your clothes, it get in everything else. You got to get rid of that. And there ain't nothing delightful about that smell hitting you. You just want it gone as quick as possible. Could you imagine that being how believers interact with the world? That, that we don't, there's nothing sweet smelling about what we bring. Now, change the situation. Instead of walking in and having that putrid smell hit you, imagine you open the door and it's bacon. Or, okay, if you're not a bacon person, cinnamon rolls. Stop. 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 If I, if I smell cinnamon rolls, I'm in. I don't care what you're doing, I'm in. Because it hits you and you're like, ooh, I like that. See, Christians in the world are sweet-smelling fragrance. And what do we smell like? Well, the fragrance is one that is connected to Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. See, the fragrance primarily is to God. We are, and the sweet smell is the idea of God being pleased. You know how I know that? Because when you go to the next verse, verse 15, Paul says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. That's a different word. The word that's used for fragrance in the previous verse is not the same word that's used here. This one's aroma. And the closest Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament is found in Exodus and Leviticus a lot. And do you know what it's tied to? The aroma that is pleasing to God. Do you know where that's found? Throughout Exodus and Leviticus, it's found in connection with the sacrificial system. That when sacrifices were offered up to God, it was a pleasing aroma to him. I think Paul is applying that same thing to us in that because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus' death was pleasing to his father. Isaiah 53, God tells us that it pleased him to bruise his son. When Christ died, it was a sweet aroma. It was well-pleasing to God. Why? Because Jesus was accomplishing the redemptive work that God had in rescuing sinners from the depths of their sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it's a sweet aroma pleasing to the Father. And if we're in Christ, then we also carry that sweet pleasing aroma everywhere we go. And we do that as we live lives that are what? Living sacrifices for God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Give your life, offer your life as a living sacrifice to God, pleasing to him. Your role as a Christian is to live in this world a life that reflects the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. That you would offer your own life up as a sacrifice to God every single day. God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to live how you have called me to live. And that you live every single day with that aroma of what Jesus did on the cross everywhere you go. Which means you're going to reflect the goodness and the graciousness and the love of Christ, the compassion, the justice that Jesus exemplified and was for us. As Christians, Paul says we are the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. That's why God deserves thanks. Because no matter what your circumstances are, this is still true if you're a Christian. If you're in Jesus, you are always being led in triumphal procession by your king and you're also spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. That means you give your life up on the altar for God. 
that you're going to do everything for his glory. That is sweet smelling to the Lord. He's pleased by that. And as children of the king who are marching in triumphal procession, why would we want to give God anything less than absolute allegiance to him? We are the aroma of Christ. And because of that, we give thanks to God. Believers are the sweet-smelling sacrifices that represent Jesus. And we live our lives in a world that includes people who will both love that and hate that. Notice what he says in verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Is anybody left out of that statement? No. There's no neutral area, right? There's only two types of people you're going to run across as you live this sweet-smelling life, this sacrificial life that you're going to live life down for Jesus, and you're going to represent and reflect what he did on the cross for us. When you do that, some people are going to love it, and some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to trust in Jesus because of it. Some are going to reject him because of it. Listen, anytime you take the gospel anywhere, anytime you start talking about Jesus, you're either going to lead people to trust in him, you're going to lead people to hate him more. How do I know that? Well, because Paul says that. He says in verse 16, to one we are a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? See, we live lives in a world that includes those who have trusted in Jesus and will and those who won't. Those who are saved and those who, he says, are perishing. But guess what we do? We always bring the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, regardless of how they respond. We take the knowledge of Christ with us everywhere we go. I mean, sometimes you know this to be true. You know, cologne, perfume is good within reason. But, right? <laughs> but you know when somebody cakes it on. You ever had that experience? Someone walks in and Woo, baby. They had a full bottle at home, and they emptied half of it on themselves. And you're talking to them, you're like, hey, hi, how you doing? Mm, great, smell great today. <laughs> and it just, it hits you like a wall. And not only that, but then even when, even when they, they take a jacket off or a coat off, it's still all over the coat. It is heavy. Now, for a lot of people, that's really, if it's over the top, that's what it smells like. It's a little obtrusive. But we are the sweet-smelling aroma of Jesus everywhere we go, which means we carry with us the aroma of Christ, and it's pleasing. That wherever we go, we, we can't shake it off. We, it's on us. Everywhere we go, we are the aroma of Jesus to the people that we encounter. Now, some are going to smell it. And go, oh, that's nice. I like that. I want that. Some are going to smell it and go, that's disgusting. Get it away from me. For some, it is the fragrance of life to life. For others, the fragrance of death to death. See, when we walk out in the world and we are the aroma of Christ, we're going to encounter people who will either trust in him or they will reject him. And regardless of what they do, it doesn't change who we are. We are the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. And because of that, God deserves ultimate thanksgiving. And I love the fact that Paul says this, who is sufficient for these things? 
Who is adequate for this role? Not us, right? Who is adequate to be the walking sacrifice every single day, the aroma of Christ everywhere they go? Who is, who is adequate for that? Well, the answer is not us. Not apart from God. The, apart from God, we have no hope of being these things. We cannot be marched in triumphant procession. We are not the fragrance of the knowledge of God in Christ. The only way we can be sufficient or adequate for these things is because God makes us that way. Paul says in verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. See, even in the early church, there were people rising up in the church who were using God's word for their own personal gain. That's what it means to peddle God's word. It means you use it to get for yourself. Folks, do I need to convince you that's still alive and well right now? Do I need to convince you that are people out there who are saying they're representing Jesus and they're bringing the word of God, but they're only doing it for what they can get for themselves? Paul says, that group is not of God. That group is not in Christ. But he says this, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Notice who the focus is on. It's on what God does through Christ for us. Paul says, who's adequate for this? Well, it ain't peddlers of God's word. It's those who are sincere, commissioned by God, speaking the words of Jesus in obedience to him and in the sight of God. That God makes us fit through what Jesus has done on the cross to make us speakers of the words of Christ, to make us speakers of the word of God in such a way that some will respond while others may reject. But wherever we go, we are the aroma of Christ speaking about him wherever God leads us. And this is beautiful news. It's something we can't accomplish on our own but only comes through Jesus alone. So here's how I want to wrap it up. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning if I could sum it up as quickly as possible. Number one, we need to remember that we used to be enemies of God. We used to be enemies of God. Even you sweet ladies in this room, even you adorable little kids, apart from God, we are enemies of his. There is no neutral ground. There are only those walking towards death or walking towards life. And that's a hard thing to hear, especially if you're trying to be a good person. It doesn't seem fair. But what we know from God's word is that every sin that we commit is worthy of eternal damnation. It's a terrible situation. But it's who we are apart from God, and we need to come to grips with that. Not sugarcoat it, not belittle it, not act like it's not true, but realize that if you're not in Christ, you are an enemy of God. That hurts. That cuts. But it's true. But we don't stay there because God tells us that even though we are enemies of his, in Christ we are captured by God and brought into his kingdom. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, paying for our debt, for our sin, taking our place, we can actually be forgiven. And instead of having wrath poured out on us, we have the grace of God poured out on us. And in Christ, we are captured by God and brought into his family. 
and from then on are in procession of victory in life. And because we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, we are the pleasing aroma of Jesus. And just so you know, that pleasing aroma speaks. What about the sacrifices would be so pleasing to God? Why would it be so pleasing to us? Well, because the sacrifices were the way that peace and reconciliation were brought between people and God. The sweet smell of Christ is that reconciliation, that peace that only Christ can bring. When we go out into the world, we're walking as ministers of reconciliation and peace. It's funny, I think Paul says that in a couple of chapters in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You are a new creation, and as such, you are a minister of reconciliation. That's the sweet smell of Jesus, and that's what he's done for us, is he's made us sweet aroma in a world that is lost and dying. Not only that, but having been rescued and made captive of God, why would we ever chase after sin again? When we think about what God has rescued us from, how silly is it? that with everything he's purchased for us, we would run after sin and death again. See, what this does is it should stir up in us thanksgiving to God and a desire to honor him. Not for what we can get out of him, but because of what he's already done for us. That you would want to honor God and live as a sweet aroma in this world because of what God has rescued you from. And I want you to remember that we are these things regardless of our circumstances. That's what allows us to say to our sister Betty that she's still being led in triumphal procession with God. She is still the sweet aroma of Christ in this world, the knowledge of God. And through her situation, through her circumstances, she's going she's gonna to be sweet-smelling to the world as she shows what Jesus does in a human heart. The prestiges are going to do that through difficulties and struggles and hospital stays, God is going to show that he is leading his people in triumphant procession, even in the difficult times. You are still the sweet-smelling fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. And whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, for some of you, it's not too much. It It feels like you can carry it. For others, you're carrying things that are far too heavy. Guess what? You can still give thanks to God because you are still being led in triumphant procession with him and you are still the sweet-smelling aroma of Jesus everywhere you go. How could we not devote our entire lives to this king who is marching us forward every single day in the communities we live in to say, these are my people whom I have rescued and they can be rescued too. Oh, that's good news. And it helps in days when things aren't going peachy, when things are a struggle. So this morning, what I want you to do is two things. Number one, if you're not a Christian, if you're trying to be good in the hopes that God will save you or allow you into heaven, just so you know, no amount of good things you do can pay for your sin. No amount of good things you can do can pay the penalty for cosmic treason against the king of all kings. And he's not asking you to. That what you need more than anything is not to try harder or do better. What you need is to trust in Jesus alone, to know that he took your punishment on the cross. He died in your place so that you could be delivered from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he did for you. That's how much he loves you. And I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No one's turned away. When you come to Christ, you will be welcomed. 
Maybe you need to trust in him this morning. Christians in the room, maybe we need to be reminded of what we've been saved from. We need to be reminded of the fact that we used to be his enemies. But he rescued us and made us part of his family. And because of that, God deserves thanksgiving even when that joker cuts us off in traffic. Even when the the hospital bill is way more expensive than what they said it was going to be. Even when your children and your grandchildren are acting the fool. God is still leading you in triumphant procession with him. Regardless of your circumstances, God is still working in your life. God is still leading you to victory in him. And so we celebrate. We give thanks to God. And we also make sure that we ask God, how can we be more sweet-smelling as we go? To look a little more like Jesus than what we did before. Not in our own power, but in Christ and what he's done for us. We want to offer our lives, our entire lives, as a living sacrifice for Jesus. And in so, be sweet-smelling to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, and our friends. But that means you're going to have to walk after Jesus. You're going to have to walk in righteousness. You're going to have to speak the word of God. You're going to have to stand for what God stands for in order to be that sweet-smelling aroma. But in Christ... You can be and are the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. May we live intentionally in that. May we not go sour, but may we live understanding that this is who Christ has made us to be. And when we go into the world, we are going to encounter people who are either going to love him or hate him. But we're still that same fragrance. May we live our lives as Christians in complete obedience to him. So this morning, maybe you need to confess some sin as a Christian. Maybe you need to repent, turn away. Maybe there's something you're carrying that you shouldn't, that, that, that is, is going to mask the sweet smell that God has made you to be. You need to confess that this morning. Turn it over to him. Know that he forgives. Maybe we need to encourage each other. Don't be down all the time. Understand that your circumstances don't define your happiness or your worship. That it's Christ alone who does that. It's the victory of God. So let us live victorious lives, not fearful, not scared, but living every single day purposely going, I am God's kid, and I'm victorious in him. Oh, I want to share that with every person who lives in Olive Branch. I want to share that with every person who lives in every community near us. I want to share that with people around the world who don't know that Jesus even came. I want to share that. That's the sweet smell. And God promises one day we will join with him and we will dwell in his presence forever. No more sin, no more death, no more opposition. Complete allegiance to Christ and joy in him forever. Let us pursue that and let us offer our lives as living sacrifices to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you for this morning and for your word that reminds us That, God, you deserve thanks no matter our circumstances. That, God, even when we're dealing with really messy things, even when we're dealing with burdens that seem too hard, Father, that you remind us in your word through Paul's writing that there is thanksgiving that is meant to be offered to you. And it's not because of our circumstances. It's because of who you've made us to be, because of who you are and what you've done in our hearts. That, God, you've taken us from enemies of yours to friends. You've taken us from outcasts to children of yours. And because of that, God, we give you supreme thanks that you didn't turn us away. But God, when we came and we sought your forgiveness, you forgave. 
because of what Jesus did for us. So Father, this morning I pray that every person who's listening or watching this, Father, I pray that you will draw them to yourself. God, I pray you'll show them their desperate need for rescue and redemption. Show them that they are enemies of yours apart from Jesus. And Father, draw them to yourself that, God, they might look for forgiveness in Jesus alone. Father, use us to take these words, to take the gospel to them, to to tell them about the fact that Christ redeems. And Father, would you save people, please? Father, for your glorious name, would you rescue and save souls from death and bring them to life? God, would you do that in our own church? God, no, regardless of how many of us have been in church and for how long, God, would you save people at Fairhaven? And Lord, for us who have been redeemed, we give you thanks, God, that we are yours. And Father, we want to live for you. We want our lives to be living sacrifices for you. So Father, help us to cut out and cut off those things that don't look like Jesus. Father, help us to battle sin. Help us not coddle sin, but call it what it is and kill it. Not so that we can get more from you, God, but because we want to show that you are powerful enough to change hearts like this, that you do give victory over sin. So Father, help us as Christians to walk after Jesus that we would be that sweet-smelling fragrance of Christ everywhere we go, that every person we talk to and our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our classmates, God, that we would tell them all about the redemption and the rescue that is available to them as well through Jesus. Lord, make us sweet in this world as you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you in all these things that those who used to stink like death can smell like life. Father, use us for your glory. We ask you to do this so that more people will worship you. And Father, that we would know more of your goodness and your grace. Lord, help us to respond to you today. To commit our lives to you and to walk in victory in Christ. We love you. We thank you. We ask you to do all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.